Tonight's Bible reading comes from Revelation 3, 1, 2, 6. I'll give you a minute to flick to it. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds complete in the the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my father and his angels. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You're all in anticipation, aren't you? You're keen. My popcorn. We'll get to that in a moment. But please do have your Bible open with you. As Claire read it, I'm sure you appreciated that this is a, a strong word. A little bit different to what we've encountered so far. Nonetheless, it's still God's word, still good. So I'm going to pray. Our good and our gracious God, we thank you for your word. Even when passages like this come up tonight where it's hard, and there is always hope because of the Lord Jesus. So tonight, as we explore it, please do speak clearly through me by your Holy Spirit. Uh, be working in the lives of us individually and as your church. For our brothers and sisters that are across the screen, please also help them to engage with what is going on here. We lay these things at your feet. In Jesus' name, amen. So as you can see, I have a, a microwave here. Now, you guys are all pretty familiar with microwaves, right? I don't need to explain it. But I, just to prove to you how microwaves work, I've got this popcorn. And so this microwave hopefully will... Yep, turning on. And as you know with microwaves, uh, you put things in, and they have a reputation to heat things up. So this microwave, uh, I'll put it on for one minute, because that's what this needs. Uh, start button. Okay, here we go. So as you can see with this microwave, just proving to you that it is working. Can you hear it? Slightly. But it's making the right noises. It's spinning. It's got its lights on. As you saw, I could put in all the buttons. When I was um, applying all the buttons, I could have changed the, the tie, put it the defrost or whatever it may be. But it looks like it's working, right? This microwave is, is doing a good job. But have any of you cooked popcorn before? Yes, I know. Yeah, thank you, Austin. What should be happening about now? Should we be hearing some popping? But what's going on? Nothing. Right, we are 45 seconds in. Not one bit of popping. It looks like it's working, this microwave. But it's not. It's dead. It's a microwave that doesn't emit microwaves. Still flat. Useless, right? Its purpose of being a microwave uh, is to heat things. But this microwave is not doing that at all. It looks like it's doing the right thing, but it's dead. In many ways, this is our church in Sardis. A reputation 
of being a church, a reputation of being like a microwave that can heat things, but it's a church that looks alive but is actually dead. Now, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, we've been exploring these letters uh, to the churches uh, in the first couple of chapters of Revelation. So far, we've ex- explored four. We're on to the fifth one today, which is the city and the, sorry, the church of Sardis. Now, as Tim introduced to us back in the first week, Jesus comes to these churches and gives a letter, which is like a performance review. Uh, and he usually has this um, structure, if you like. He, he comes to them in a way they can understand. He, he gives a description of himself. Then gives them like a, an encouragement, some kind of affirming thing, a rebuke usually, and a warning that goes along with that rebuke, and then some way to, to get back on the right track, and then a promise. And that's very much the pattern that we've seen throughout all these letters. And then we hit this church tonight. We hit Sardis. And it is probably the, the worst of the bunch. Uh, it gets the strongest word. It is the most confronting. But as with all, this, all the churches that we go to, it's important to have a bit of an idea of the city. It helps us to understand what's going on in the letter and what's going on in the life of the church. So last week, when we looked at Thyatira, right, I was saying that it was the church in like the backwaters, if you like. It was the little, the little church, the little city. Sardis is like a return to wealth. It's a return to prestige, a, re- a return to honor, all that kind of thing. It has a big reputation, does Sardis. However, it's a reputation that's based on the old city. Because Sardis was destroyed by an earthquake uh, a couple of decades earlier to this letter being written. Devastated, it was rebuilt, but it kept its reputation. It kept its reputation as this big, grand, bustling kind of city with all its glory. It's a bit like, if I offend you here, sorry, but a bit like George Clooney, right? He, you know, he was, he was the big guy, big actor a little while ago, but now he's kind of he fizzled out a little bit. Still around, but not really the big name he was. Now, the second thing about this city is that it had a section of it called the Acropolis. Acropolis just means, in Greek, high city. And so there was a section of it which was built on top of a mountain, on a plateau. And so it had really good defenses. It was very hard for enemies to attack them, very hard for them uh, to overtake. And as well as that, they had very good food supply, very good water supply, very good communications. And so this city felt comfortable. It felt secure. Uh, It felt like there was no genuine threat, very comfortable. And it seems as though those things have very much infiltrated the church. The church has become complacent. There's no big threats going on around them. And it seems as though they've just become so complacent, they're exactly like the culture around them. There is no distinction. They're not actually living out being Christians anymore. And so Jesus goes to this church. He still goes to them. He still sends them a letter to a church of a big reputation, seemingly secure, but complacent. And so this is how he starts. In verse 1, These are the words of him who hold the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. So we've come to expect this kind of self-description of Jesus, and he says that he's holding two things. Uh, we're fami- the, the two things are the, the seven stars and the seven spirits. To deal with the seven stars, we've looked at that before. The seven stars, as it says in chapter 1, 
is the seven churches. So Jesus holds the seven churches in his hand. Sardis, I'm holding you in my hand. The second thing is the seven spirits. Now, it, this was mentioned in chapter 1, but we didn't explore it. And without going on the big journey, there's a lot of allusions to things in the Old Testament, in Isaiah, Zechariah, uh, all these places. Um, and all the commentators are in agreement that this seven spirits is in reference to the Holy Spirit, the, the third person of the Trinity, but in particular to his power, to the, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So with Jesus saying, I hold the seven spirits, he's saying, I hold, I have, I possess the fullness of the Holy Spirit in me. A little bit of uh, the Trinity going on here. But the image that Jesus is coming to Sardis with is, I hold you in my hand and I have the power of life within me. That's the image, that's the power that he is coming to them. So at this point, we're now expecting some kind of positive affirmation. That, that's the usual approach uh, that he gives. And so he always starts with, I know, I know something about your deeds, I know something about the way that you're living, and it's positive. And this is what we read to Sardis. I know your deeds, you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Nothing positive, no good news, straight to the rebuke, straight to this is what is not right, directing them towards what they need to change. He says, I see your deeds. Yeah, I see them. There's none. There's no deeds worth worrying about here at all. Before, yeah, you were demonstrating you were a follower of me. You were leaving out the purpose of the church. But as I look at you now, I see nothing. I know your deeds. They're actually dead. They look alive, but they're dead. It's a bit like uh, Sizzler restaurants. Anyone like Sizzler? You know, you go, you get the, the cheese bread. Oh, it's the best bit of Sizzler. But if you were to go to Sizzler now, say you go to Campbelltown or Cogger, whatever it may be, you can go, the building is still there. Oh, gone now. Thank you for ruining what I was about to say. <laughs> but if they were to be there, <laughs> the point is they have a reputation, right? Sizzler still has a reputation, but if you were to go there, it's dead. There's no life in there anymore. Just reputation. That's what Sardis is like. A church, like, you know, it's got the name out the front. They have a good track record of loving God and loving others. But in this moment, it's just a dream. It is not reality. They're like the microwave. Not actually living out their true purpose. There's a mismatch between their reputation and their reality. Now that is a cutting rebuke, right? That's like Nawi Baptist Church. You look alive, but you're dead. What you're doing is of no value. Like that is harsh. That is direct. That is what Jesus is saying to Sardis. And so he goes on, verse 2, Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. This is a call back, sorry, a call to them to wake up, to assess their condition and to like, come to your senses, Sardis. Like, wake up. It's like, you know, when we see someone who we're like, wow, they're really, for whatever reason, like lost the plot, or we might think they need to wake up to themselves. They're not seeing things clearly. They're going about their business, but obviously ignorant to what is going on. Sardis, church, wake up. Jesus, he has them on spiritual life support, but he's calling them to re-engage, to recommit. And this is not just a, like a recorrection to themselves. This is like an awakening. 
wake up, Sardis. And then he says, strengthen what remains. It's a callback. Bolster what you were doing before. Go back to the things that you were doing. You've become so similar to the ways of the world that you are no longer distinct. You're not effectively following Jesus. You're not effectively following him. Like for us, that's, you know, you could be doing the ministry, but there's no love. Actually sharing about Jesus. Not engaging with God through his word, through prayer. Not being part of the gathering with God's people, with the brothers and sisters. It was happening years ago, but not anymore. And so having these, read these first couple of verses together, it's very clear Jesus is saying that I'm very concerned with your lifestyle. The way that you are living is not an outworking of your faith because your faith is asleep. Jesus is recalling them back to wholehearted commitment to God, with it, which expresses itself in their life. So that's those two things, wake up and strengthen. But then he continues to the third thing, verse 3. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. Jesus is saying, if you want to awake from your slumber, Sardis, Christian, remember and repent. Not like a nostalgic remember the glory days. Now remember the gospel. Remember the truth and the life of the gospel. Remember Jesus. The good news. There's so much of the gospel, but in its essence, remember the good news. That you are a sinner, but you are saved by Jesus. You were created by God, but we'd fallen away, deserving of judgment. But God in his love and in his mercy sent Jesus, died on the cross, rose again in victory. We're now given grace so you can have life. It's the essence of the gospel. Jesus is saying, remember that. That's what you, you held on to with your faith. You confessed it. You believed it. Remember, turn back to your true identity. Turn back to me. Remember the gospel. And then Jesus says, repent. Change your ways. Return back to me. You've been spiritually asleep. But return to me. Find life and fullness. Remember the gospel. Know it and live it. This is a call to very holistic faith. It's not just something in the head. It's not just something in the heart. It is all those things. Jesus is calling the Christian to a complete transformed life. You can't separate the head and the heart. He's calling these Christians to live out the purposes of being a Christian, to know the gospel and to live it out in action. And then this naturally, as we explore it inside us, we naturally ask the question of ourselves, are we asleep? Or are we awake? Is our faith active and alive? Is it the core of our identity, our meaning, and our purpose? Or has it wandered? Like, is our faith like this microwave? Where it looks good on the outside. It looks like it's doing all the right things, but is actually dead. Now, of course, of course, we do not want faith like that microwave where we once had faith, or once working, but once genuine, but now have stopped. We don't want to also have a faith that looks like it's doing all the right things. And from the outside, it looks like, yeah, I'm flashing, I'm, I'm living out the ministry, but inside, being dead. Not actually pursuing the purposes to which God has sent us on. I fear for myself, and I, I fear for us, it is so easy to fall into those kind of traps. Easy for us to be people that once served or serving without a genuine heart for God. 
to be part of the life of the church and then to drift away. Like maybe you're thinking of friends, brothers and sisters who used to sit with you in 2019. Maybe they're on live stream and that's, that's great too. Wonderful you can be with us that way. But now they're asleep. Asleep in their faith. Drifted away. And friends, all of us can be lulled to sleep by the distractions and attractions that are in this world and the culture around us. So many things that compete for our time, for our energy, competing for our affections, competing for our allegiance. You know, last week we were talking about phones. It could be things like that, or at work, your hobbies, friends, whatever it may be. God is certainly not against those things, but he wants to redeem and restore the way we understand them and and incorporate them in our life with Jesus ultimately as king. Because the problem with some of those things is they cause us to be apathetic. The suburban life in itself causes us to want to be comfortable, to have become apathetic in our faith. And the, the process is not immediate, usually. It's usually a slow decline. Not investing in God, not coming to His Word, not in prayer, not engaging in ministry and mission, not engaging with the people of God. And slowly but surely to drift away, to become asleep, sleepy in our faith. And as we listen, as we engage with this church and start us, maybe you recognize you've gotten a bit sleepy. Well, there's elements of your faith. Maybe you're thinking of a friend and your heart is going out to them and we need awakening. And through the direct yet loving call of Jesus, we are invited to look inward at ourselves and to see whether our faith is just reputation or if it is reality, whether or not it is awake or asleep. And they are harsh words. I realize they are harsh words. And then Jesus comes with a warning. And he says, if you remain asleep, this is what's going to happen. The warning and the threat, if they don't wake up, if they don't remember, if they don't repent. And then Jesus says in the second half of verse 3, but if you do not wake up, I'll come like a thief. And you will not know at what time I'll come to you. Jesus, he warns them he's going to come like a thief. Now, we're familiar with that language from the beginning of the Gospels where Jesus says that his second coming is going to come like a faith. Basically, when people don't expect it, you know, if a faith is coming, you prepare. A faith is not going to come when you're prepared. It's when you, un, or when you don't expect it. Now, for Sardis, coming like a faith is like particularly poignant to them. Remember at the beginning, I was saying Sardis was like this secure, safe, impregnable city. But on two occasions, they were conquered. But they weren't conquered because of their lack of military strength or whatever it may be. They were conquered because their guards fell asleep. Their guards had fallen asleep and the enemy got in, opened up the gates and uh, destroyed them. On two occasions, a Persian king and later a Greek king. And so the, the message to Sardis and by extension to us is don't be asleep. It's urgent to wake up to be alive in Christ, to return to him, alert to the threats, living out the gospel, reciting, knowing, implanting ourselves on the gospel, active and living out the love, the justice, the purposes that God has set for us in his word. So Jesus is saying to Sardis and he's saying to us, are we awake or are we asleep? Now can I say at, at this point, I do know it is strong. Uh, it's, a, it's a strong call to re-engage, to recommit, uh, a call to vibrant faith. But I recognize that for, 
each of us, we might need different alarms, different types of alarm clocks to awaken us, right? Some of us are going to need a big blaring blah, blah, blah in the morning. That, you know, that kind of thing to wake you up. In your, in your spiritual state, maybe that's what you need. But for some of us, it's going to be much more gentle. For whatever reason, for whatever's happened in our life, we're going to need a more gentle approach to being woken up, to being restored to faith. The Holy Spirit, He knows exactly what we need. Lean into Him in prayer, in His Word, in worship, in uh, whatever means is going to be helpful for you, with His people. He knows what we need to wake up. But Jesus, He doesn't let end the letter here. As with all the six churches, every single one, He ends with a promise. He ends with hope for those who repent, for those who remain in Christ. And so he goes from verse 4. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out their name, never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. There is some in Sardis who has not fallen asleep, who have kept their allegiance to Jesus, who have not soiled their clothes. That's basically to say they haven't become complacent, they haven't uh, been stained by the culture around them, remained uh, pure, kept coming to Jesus uh, for forgiveness, haven't been contaminated, even though the vast majority of their brothers and sisters clearly have been. They haven't forfeited their allegiance in word or in action. And so Jesus promises to them and to also anybody, any one of those church, people of that church who repent, who turn back to him, who remember the gospel, that there are three promises, three hopes, uh, which is really one big hope for them. First, they're going to be dressed in white, just an image of holiness and of like being in royalty. Like when you think of the Romans and, and the Caesar, they're dressed in white, right? That's an image of uh, royalty and in the sense of the gospel, holiness. Secondly, they're not going to be blotted out from the book of life. Never going to be removed. Now, the book of life is very symbolic of the people that are in God's family, people who are going to be part of his kingdom to come. And so Jesus is saying, you're in him, you're never going to be blotted out. No one can pluck you from the Father's hand. And then thirdly, Jesus says, I'm going to acknowledge you to the Father. In the way that you've been, had allegiance to me, you've acknowledged me, so I'm going to acknowledge you. I'm going to invite you into the Father's presence. These are all promises of eternal hope, eternal glory, perfect, holy, with Christ, with God for all eternity, secure in him. Now, amongst like the glorious hope, the, the, the wonderful vision this is, what is even more amazing about this hope for this church is who he's speaking to. He's speaking to a sleepy church, the worst of all of them. And even for the worst of all the churches that he writes to, there's hope for them. There's still grace which is available for them. They have fallen the furthest, they have lost their way, they are furthest from God. But the promises of grace, the promises of hope are still available to them. The hand of forgiveness and hope is still there. So friends, if your faith is asleep, or you've wandered from your faith for whatever reason, maybe from that four months of COVID and it was a tough time and you've, you've wandered away. Maybe it's been four years, 
four months, whatever it may be. God in his grace, God in his mercy, he holds out those promises of hope for all those who repent, for all those who come and throw themselves on his grace and his love. The promises of God still stand. And how do we know this? He said it to Sardis. He says it to us. This is the message of the Bible, the message of all of God's scriptures. Grace, hope, love for all those who come to him. But there, and we also know that this is still the case because Jesus hasn't returned in his glory yet. There is still time. He hasn't come like the thief in the night. And so then this whole passage, it leaves us with that choice. Allegiance leaves us with a choice of allegiance or apathy. These are the two types of people that were inside us. Those who'd fallen asleep, apathetic, not caring for Jesus, not caring for his kingdom, not living for his purposes, not having their identity in Christ, in reality being dead. That's the one option, it's apathy. But the other option is allegiance. Awake in faith, alive in Christ, rooted, remaining in him, then living out the good purposes to which God has called us to. Having an allegiance to Jesus, having him as king. And so whether we are close to Jesus, and then this is like an encouragement to you, hold on to that, be encouraged, keep going in your faith, being alive, living out those purposes. But also if you're fallen away, or you're sleeping in your faith, there is hope here. The promises apply to everyone who is going to come back to him. There is hope in Christ. It still stands. God loves us. He writes to Sardis because he loves that church. He wants that church to come back to him. He's calling us to come back to him, to return to him, to have a faith that is awake, living out his good purposes for the blessing of this world, empowered by his Holy Spirit to the glory of God. Let me pray. Our good and our gracious God, thank you so much that you love us. No matter how far we've fallen, your hand of grace, your hand of love, your hand of forgiveness is still extended to us. Father, thank you that you, you remind us, that you show us to not fall asleep, that there is hope in you, that living out your purposes are good, that you've invited us to be part of your family, to have our hope and identity in Christ. By your Holy Spirit, please empower us to continue to live for you, because we know it's only when you are with us that we can live for you in your glory. So we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.